Let's begin with prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace, that your uh, mercy is steadfast and endures forever uh, to uh, those who call upon you with faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would continue to assure us of your love, that we might walk with confidence uh, the path that is set out before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we come to a chapter on the perseverance of the saints. That would be chapter 17. If you're looking in the hymnal, that's page 858 of the perseverance of the saints. Um, We've looked at our faith in Jesus Christ, our saving faith, uh, the faith by which we receive the gift of salvation, uh, the repentance unto life that we also, um, with, in light of God's mercy and our conviction of our sins, turning from sins unto God, with full purpose of uh, new obedience, and then good works that you know, flow from that as we walk the Christian life. But now we'll look at, does that continue? Uh, will that continue? And uh, looking at the... Uh, the rest of the Christian life, the perseverance to the end. I'll begin by reading the first article, paragraph one. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called, and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. That's a short summary there of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Um, Who shall persevere? Did anyone catch that from the article? Who is it that shall persevere to the end? Yes, those whom God has accepted in his beloved, and his beloved would be Christ. Um, Those whom are effectually called, not just externally by the word, but um, by the word and spirit, called to faith in Christ, and sanctified by his spirit, you know, those who are being um, uh, set apart and, and empowered unto uh, holiness of life, um, those people shall persevere to the end. Um, there are certainly, we'll talk about maybe as we go along, uh, those who are like the seeds in rocky soil or seeds among thorny soil who might uh, come into the church uh, for a time but yet fall away. But those who uh, are effectually called, those whom God has accepted, those who are justified and sanctified and adopted, uh, shall persevere in that state of grace to the end. And what can they not do? What, what should they, uh, yeah, what can they not do? It says they can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace. Now, that does imply that they might partially for a time, um, there, there might be disruptions to their spiritual life. We'll come across that in the, the third. But they shall not lose their salvation. They shall not uh, come under condemnation. Uh, and certainly they shall not um, fall away such that they uh, go to hell. You know, that they shall endure to the end in that grace in which we stand, in the favor of God, and be eternally saved. And that is what we shall do. Uh, What those who are saved shall do 
they shall certainly persevere, persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Notice both of those are important. They shall persevere in that state of grace to the end, and they shall be eternally saved. It's not like uh, if you believed in Jesus once and then you stopped believing in Jesus, that you'd still be saved because you once believed in him. Um, it's not simply the end that is certain, but also the means, the, the walking, the enduring, the persevering. Um, sometimes there's a you know, once saved, always saved kind of uh, doctrine that's very similar and sometimes the same, but depending on how it's explained, can kind of put all the emphasis on that initial decision or experience and neglect that walk that we still persevere in. You know, that's just the whole name of the doctrine. Uh, but we persevere by God's grace, and that's what we'll see in the second article. But first, a little biblical basis. Um, John spends some time on this in John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. Uh, we find that Jesus uh, describes this, not only that uh, not only that we are drawn effectually by God, that doctrine of effectual calling, and even the doctrine of election that the Father has given a people to the Son to be saved, but we also have the idea that those people whom he has elected, given to the Son, and those whom he draws to the Son, effectually called, those same people shall be raised on the last day. Let me read verses 37 through 40. All that the Father gives me, so this is Jesus speaking, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Are there any people that the Father has given to the Son that will not come to him? Alfred, what do you think? Are any of the children? Are there any people that the Father gives to the Son that shall not come to the Son with faith? No, all of those whom he has given to the Son will come to the Son, um, made willing by God's power. Now, any of those people that come to Jesus, will Jesus cast any of them out? Will Jesus cast away any of those people who have placed their faith in him? No. Now, someone might object, well, maybe he won't cast us away, but maybe we'll cast ourselves away. Did you think about that? Maybe Jesus won't kick us out, but maybe we'll kick ourselves out. But that's contradicted by the next few verses that go on to explain. Not only will Jesus not kick us out, but he will keep us in. He will lose nothing of all that the Father has given him. And not only that, he'll raise him up on the last day. And so there's that eternal salvation that will persevere in Christ, that he will not lose us, and he will raise that same people up on the last day in the resurrection uh, to eternal life. Because this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So these things are all brought together. The, the, the election of a people, the faith of that people in Christ, and the preservation of that people to the end, that they might be raised up and eternally saved. Um, similar passage in John 10, where Jesus talks about the sheep 
and the sheep are are that same elect, that same group of people God has intended to save. The, the sheep is going to hear his voice and come to Jesus. We want to be sheep, right? That are following the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So not only I will never kick them out, but no one's going to snatch them away, uh, not even themselves. Um, we could go to Paul as well in Philippians 1.6, where he's talking to the, uh, the believers there, the saints in, in Philippi. And he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Has God begun a good work in you? Has he uh, begun this work of sanctification, this work of salvation? Is he going to leave it half done? Is God like that person that begins a construction project and runs out of funds and leaves it half finished? No, Paul's uh, confident that if he's begun a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When's the day of Jesus Christ? Any of the children here? The last day, right? When he is revealed in glory and raises up his people to glory. Now, like I said, this is not only about the end, but also the the way. Perseverance in the faith is a condition of salvation. Um, That's that's the way scripture speaks. If this, then this. Um, Just to run through a few verses, uh, Matthew 10, 22 but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So if you want to be saved, you should endure to the end as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Or Colossians 1, uh, Paul says that, you know, these things are true of you. You've been reconciled. You've been saved. But then he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So it's, it's if. You know, if you really have believed and you continue in this faith, you don't depart from it and reject it. Colossians 1, 20, uh, 20, verse 23. Um, Paul says in Galatians, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. If we do not give up. Or as John says, in, or really Jesus says in Revelation 2, verse 10, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Um, and so this, this endurance is like a race. Have you, Alfred or Catherine, have you ever run a race? Run a race with someone? What's the goal of the race? To win, but is it to get to the end? You want to get to the end of the race to finish it? Yeah, the Christian life is like a race uh, to stay the course uh, all the way to the end and not to turn back not to go on a different route. And so uh, this is a, it, it is a condition of salvation, but it's one that uh, is uh, done by God's grace, uh, that is produced by God's grace. And that's the focus of Article 2. What is the basis of their perseverance? Let's go ahead and read that. Article 2. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and of the seed of God within them, and the name of the covenant, the nature of the covenant of grace, 
from all which arise also the certainty and infallibility thereof. So does the perseverance of the saints depend upon their own free will? Is it like, well, we shall persevere because my will is strong and of my own choice, I'm going to persevere to the end. Is that where we credit this perseverance? No, no. What are the reasons that we persevere? Uh, Well, first, the immutability of the decree of election. What does immutability mean? It can't change. It's not going to mutate. It's not going to change. Uh, God has decreed this, and it is his unchangeable purpose. Uh, We see that in um, the passages already read in John, that this is the will of my Father. Uh, God is not a man that he should repent or uh, hold back from this purpose. The decree of election did not... uh, The reason for it was not any goodness in us. So it's not like we're going to do anything now that's going to change his mind. Uh, What was it founded on in the beginning? It was founded upon his free and unchangeable love. Uh, It was upon his mercy and grace. And so he's going to see this project through to the end. It's also, it's very Trinitarian here. It starts with the Father and then also thinks of, of Jesus Christ. It's based upon the efficacy of his merit and the intercession of, of him. Um, Jesus uh, prays for his people. Do you remember when Peter faltered and denied Jesus and gave way to temptation? Why did, why did Peter not fall away completely? What sustained Peter even through that, that partial falling away that, or that, uh, that grave sin that he committed? Do you remember what Jesus told him? What? Or go ahead. I think. Yes, he was going to pray for, for Peter. And uh, he, he prayed for Peter. Peter didn't pray. Peter fell asleep. But Jesus prayed for them so that uh, even though Peter sinned, that he recognized his sin quite quickly and uh, wept bitterly and repented of that sin. And is Jesus praying for his people now? Yes, he is interceding for us in heaven. Uh, He is praying for his people on the basis of his merit, his Offering of himself was sufficient for all time for those who are being sanctified uh, to save them to the uttermost. Uh, so as Romans 8 says, you know, shall anything separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ? Uh, no, uh, there's no one to lay a charge against God's elect. Uh, he is the one who justifies. Uh, there's nothing uh, in this life or the next to separate us from that love. And it also proceeds from the abiding of the Spirit and of the seed of God within them. Um, from the abiding of the Spirit and the seed of God within them. Uh, the seed of God comes from, that phrase comes from 1 John uh, 3, 9, where he says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Uh, there's, 
if, if one has been born of God, there's this indestructible seed of new life that might lay dormant for a time, might be, you know, grow more at some times than others, but it's going to remain, and it cannot be overpowered by sin. Uh, one who is born of God does not just continue making a practice of sinning uh, and falling away, uh, but shall be preserved. Uh, Jesus said he would send his spirit so that his spirit would abide with them forever. It also comes from the nature of the covenant of grace. In Jeremiah 32, speaking of the covenant of grace, especially in its new covenant form, it says in verse 40, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Uh, Now, there are those who might profess the covenant and be sealed by the signs of the covenant, uh, but those who receive the grace of the covenant through faith are going to have these promises that God puts his fear in our hearts so that we might not turn away from him. This is a a promise of the covenant, uh, the perseverance to the end. And so from all these things, from the election of the Father, the merit and intercession of the Son, the abiding of the Spirit, uh, the nature of the covenant of grace, those are the reasons that the saints will persevere and endure to the end. Uh, That word persevere or endure, it's the same Greek word, uh, hupamene, the idea of standing fast or remaining under pressure, holding the course under pressure, not swerving, uh, not shrinking back. Uh, We have need of endurance, as Hebrews says, that we might not shrink back and be destroyed, but have faith and preserve our souls. He says you have need of endurance, but we have that endurance through the grace of God. Now, Article 3, the last one here, basically says perseverance doesn't necessarily mean smooth sailing doesn't mean that we effortlessly glide to heaven on flowery beds of ease through this life. Um, it goes, I'll go ahead and read that, Article 3. Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of the means of their preservation, fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. Well, that's quite the way to end the chapter. (laughs) It's obviously, you're supposed to keep on reading because the next chapter is about the assurance of grace and salvation. But, um, But this is warning believers that simply because we have this promise of perseverance to the end doesn't mean that we get to lay back and think that nothing bad can ever happen in this life. Um, We still have to be on guard against sin and also to be encouraged that when we've sinned that um, we uh, have hope of repentance and to uh, turn back to our God, that these things can happen to true saints. But it's also a warning that we should see to it that we do not do these things at the front of the article, that we Now, do not neglect the means of our preservation. God has given us means to preserve us. He preserves us by his word. He uses the sacraments to strengthen our faith, uses prayer to strengthen our faith, uses trials and the right use of them to strengthen us. 
So if we neglect these means, if we don't use trials well, if we don't listen to God's word and uh, commune in the sacraments and uh, pray to him, that we might, like Peter, who fell asleep when he was supposed to be praying, uh, fall prey to temptation because of that sin that dwells within us, the temptations of Satan and the world. Um, these are uh, things that can seek to draw us away uh, from the right path. And so through the temptations of, the, of Satan and the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, they, the neglect of the means of their preservation, what, shall they, what can they do? They can fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein. So continue in them. That's not good, uh, but that can happen. And what are some of the consequences uh, when, when believers sin? Any of the children here, can you all think of any bad things that would happen if you sinned? What are some bad... What are bad consequences? What are, what are some of the damage that sins can bring? Well, those, those are the sins, but, but what do they do to people? Well, do they incur God's displeasure? Is God pleased with those sins? Is God happy when we sin? That like, oh, good job. No. No, God is, as a father, is displeased when we sin. And it can grieve his Holy Spirit. Um, it doesn't mean that he's going to cast us away. Uh, but he is, he is displeased by these things. Also, through falling into grievous sins, a person can come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts. Uh, in Christ, we can have an assurance of God's love, a sense of God's love, joy in the Holy Spirit, peace of conscience. But we can have less of those things. Those things can be disrupted when we fall into grievous sins and we lose the joy of our salvation. Uh, we lose some of the blessings. Um, we don't lose salvation, but we can lose some of the blessings of that salvation. Uh, these, this beginning of glory in our hearts, this measure of graces and comforts. Also, sinners, by falling into grievous sins, can have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded. You become less sensitive to sin. Remember when David sinned with murder and adultery? That he continued for a time without really confessing his sin. It took the prophet to really provoke him before it came home to him. But his conscience was kind of hardened or, or desensitized for a time by the, his own self-deception in trying to hide his sin. And that's a, that's a horrible thing. We want our hearts to be sensitive to God, that we might not fall into more sins, that we might seek to, uh, to please him and do what is right. Also, by these sins, believers can hurt and scandalize others. You know, we can cause other people to stumble. We can uh, tempt other people to sin and, and hurt them that way. We can also just hurt them. You know, if you, if you uh, hit someone, they would get hurt physically. You, you, you can do things that hurt them emotionally or physically. Um, and that makes our sins worse. And bring temporal judgments upon themselves. Um, there, certainly David knew the experience of temporal judgments upon himself. He was forgiven. God didn't cast him away. God sent his prophet to restore him. God forgave him. But he would still experience trouble in his household, uh, a discipline for the sins that he had committed. 
He would still have the hope of heaven and eternal life and God's grace and favor, but he would also experience hardship uh, in this life, and that still happens to people today. God uh, cares for his children, uh, and so he will discipline them for their good, uh, to teach them the right way in which they are to go and to chastise them when they go astray. Uh, We find that even in the New Testament, where people were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, uh, where the congregation was being judged and called to repentance and to examine themselves. So perseverance doesn't necessarily mean smooth sailing, and we often, that whole experience shows us that it's not because of us that we persevere, uh, that if God left us to ourselves, we wouldn't last, Uh, but it's by his grace that he restores, that he uh, continues to preserve us and call us back uh, to his gospel. So there are many passages that warn against apostasy. We don't have time to go through all of those that are sometimes brought up as if they contradicted this doctrine, Um, but they go along with it quite well. There's the parables of those who might receive the word with joy for a time and then fall away. Um, There's passages in Hebrews that talk about those who uh, experience some things uh, in connection with the word uh, and yet fall away. Second uh, Peter talks a lot about those who seem to have escaped the, uh, the defilements of the world, but then like the pig, pig returning to the mire goes back and is worse off than before. Uh, these warnings are given to the visible church, uh, to uh, the church that's been gathered by the word and their means by which God preserves his saints, because uh, we talked about the means of their preservation Uh, Perseverance in the true faith is required to inherit the kingdom, and uh, they rouse us up to to persevere, to walk, as 2 Peter says, to add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control. You know, in this way, there is an entrance into the kingdom. So they're a spur to the godly who are going to receive them with faith. They also rouse nominal believers, false believers, those who do not yet have true faith, to examine themselves, to see if they be in the faith, to place their faith in Jesus Christ that they might not fall away. Uh, and they you know, further uh, convict those who do, in fact, go astray. Um, for are the, there are those who receive the word, are moved by it, experience some power of the Spirit, profess Christ, enter into the church, and yet remain unconverted without true faith in Christ. And so they may fall away. The visible church is judged with charity and is treated as those who are born again, heirs of eternal life, but are called to persevere, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and warned of apostasy. But those who are elect, who have faith in Christ, uh, shall persevere in this way by God's grace. And so as John says in 1 John two nineteen, of those who did fall astray, those who were like uh, antichrists, who had denied Christ, that they went out from us, that they, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Which is both a testimony to the perseverance of the saints. If they were of us, if they did truly belong, they would have continued. Uh, But there are some who are of us but not of us, who are in our midst, who are um, under the administration of the covenant, who yet might break that covenant by not placing their faith in Jesus Christ.
So this doctrine exalts the grace of God, uh, prov- provokes our gratitude and love that we rest upon him and not on ourselves, should build up our confidence in security if we are those who have faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a reason to be lazy, but it gives us hope and confidence that we can run the race with endurance, that these things are possible by God's grace. And so with a reliance upon God's grace, we can confidently use the means he's provided to preserve you and to walk that narrow path unto his eternal kingdom.